Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications, demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. Yeah, I would just say that, you know, communications and PR are superpowers. That's the way I look at it. I mean, people with these skill sets change lives. They they spend their lives engaging with audiences and changing minds and changing lives. And we could just use more of it. So it's exactly what you're saying, Kelly. Like, I just think the more that we can use our power for good, the better off the world will be. We just need more of that now, as much good as we can get. Welcome listeners to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Kelly Fletcher, CEO of Fletcher Marketing PR. And as always, I'm joined by Fletcher Senior Strategist, Mary Beth West. Hey there, Kelly. Hello to our listeners also, and hope everyone is holding up out there. I know it's getting pretty challenging, regardless of where you live or what you do for a living. Well, it sure is. Luckily, we've had some good weather of late, so I suppose <laughs> that's been helpful. And and yeah. my message for everyone out there would just be, you are not alone. I, I feel actually more connected in some ways now than I've felt in a long time to my friends. We're all checking on each other, but... Listeners, you've probably noticed that we've been working overtime on the podcast. We've had a flurry of special edition podcasts for Misinterpreted, mostly focused on the coronavirus crisis response. But today we decided let's take a more personal turn and talk about the side of the crisis that is has really become very real and mm-hmm. a living, breathing thing that so many people are talking about, and that's their mental wellness and emotional well-being. Right. Well, we've talked on this podcast about how public relations is one of those high stress professions. And of course, these days I would I would apply that description to healthcare worker and even grocery bagger, frankly, these days, or any high public contact jobs, anyone who is out there interfacing with people in, in fairly close quarters. But the degree of change that's occurred in our society and in nearly every aspect of people's lives right now has turned things upside down for a lot of people. So if you had a stressful job to begin with, it's only more so now. And things are just as tough for the some 10 million Americans who had a job a month ago, but don't have one now who are, you know, find themselves in a furloughed or unemployed situation. It's just an unbelievable situation when you think about it. It was the least expected, I guess, global crisis that I would have ever imagined. And I would have thought we would have had some sort of nuclear incident before a pandemic, but here we are. So, you know, in addition to letting our listeners know that they're not alone, today we want to point them into the direction of some very relevant resources in the mental wellness category. And we're so thrilled to speak with a woman who leads communications for an organization that is a world authority in the area of mental health and well-being. Mary Beth, why don't you do the honors of introducing her? Oh, sure. It is a sincere honor to have with us today the Chief Communications Officer of the American Psychological Association, Alicia Ebersold. Based in Washington, D.C., APA, the American Psychological Association, has 121,000 members. Alicia serves as APA's first Chief Communications Officer, having joined APA in September of 2017. And Alicia came to APA from the National Council for Behavioral Health, 
So this was not the first position she had in this kind of sector or this kind of category. She served as that organization's first senior vice president of communications and strategic development. And she has tremendous association-based communications leadership experience, which I hope she'll tell us more about here in a few moments, Kelly. It's a real delight to have someone of her expertise and with an organization that is so urgently needed and relevant to our global reality right now. It really is. I'm so honored. So welcome, Alicia, to Ms. Interpreted. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I know you're super busy right now, so we'd love to kick off this important conversation. By, we just, we've been asking everybody, how are you getting along and how, are, how is your family? How are your coworkers? How are you holding up during all of this? Yeah, I mean, I'd say people are being real troopers sort of across <laughs> the board. It's kind of amazing what the human mind can accommodate if needed to. We're in week four of working from home, and I think that people are kind of working out the kinks on the work front, uh, what to wear if you're going to be on a Zoom call, uh, <laughs> how many pets is appropriate to have on the screen, things like that. And, you know, we're recognizing we, we need to do shorter meetings, and so that's been a good flip for us. And we've pretty much been working nonstop, so I think people are appreciating no commute and being in their PJs, and that side of it's been really good. At home, let's just say that one of my kids has been baking, and that's been a delicious but very dangerous hobby. I don't really need to be in the house with that many cupcakes all at once. We've always encouraged her to do that, but she takes them with her to school, and now that there's no school, cupcakes are my new friend. So <laughs> other than that, I think I think it's all well other than that. I was going to say, your your daughter and my daughter would have a whole lot in common. I live with a baker as well, and it's, yeah, it's going to be pretty tough on the waistline, but at any rate. And but it's it was just very so, enjoyable. So, it yeah. is. It is. <laughs> well, we're excited to have someone of your stature on our podcast, Alicia. Thanks so much. And given your role leading a strategic communications function for such a large and important association in particular, I would think that APA now finds itself on the front lines of thought leadership during a sudden global pandemic, that being a very challenging kind of position to be in, especially given your role in leading communications. Before we get into the specifics of how the American Psychological Association is managing its program of work at this point, we'd really love to hear more from you first about your own career path, about what led you to APA. If you could tell us a little bit about your career journey just as a professional communicator. Sure. Well, I grew up in a town called Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania, great place to grow up. And I came to DC for a summer internship at a magazine called Campaigns and Elections Magazine. It was a very exciting internship, and I just fell in love with DC. Everything about it was so different from where I grew up. It was so, right. there's so much happening. It was so interesting and engaging. And so since I've been in DC, which is where I've been since that internship, basically, I have worked for, as you mentioned in the intro, a lot of associations. I have worked for the National Governors Association, the National Council for Behavioral Health. And I also worked for this amazing program called Aligning Forces for Quality, which was an initiative of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. I've just been really lucky. I really love association work. I think communications is one of the most exciting jobs you could possibly have. When I started, when I first moved to DC, I was working for a government contractor as an editor. And I sort of started as a proofreader and editor. And then over the course of my career, I just kept adding things I was interested in. They would say, do you want to do that? And I'd say, yeah, that sounds really interesting. And so I would do that, do a little here, do a little there. 
started to do work in media relations, started to do, you know, more PR work. And associations are great that way. Communications kind of ebbs and flows with the workload, but also with the kind of work that you're doing. And because I really believe in what I do every place I go, it's just been really good for me that it's kind of being able to focus your expertise around your passion. And I think that if you're able to do that in your life, you're very lucky. Right. So I've been at APA now for about two and a half years and I've loved every minute of it. And the primary reason I came was because they had a new CEO, someone I've really respected. And he and I had a couple of conversations and we just really clicked. And he said, what's the most important thing for me in hiring a communications person? And I said, it has to be someone that you connect with. Because I think in the association world, if the CEO and the chief communications person aren't in lockstep on what they believe about communications, it's very hard to get your work done. And he certainly is that. So I'm, I feel very lucky to have him and this job and this career path so far. Oh, that's great. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up, that you have such a, a great working relationship with your CEO, because we've talked several times on this podcast about how sometimes the communications function in organizations, and particularly in large organizations, is disconnected from the mm-hmm. C-suite, and it, and it causes all kinds of problems. So, I love hearing about your career. As a first question, with the American Psychological Association having 120,000 plus members and being such a leading voice in the field, what is at the core of APA's mission as an organization? What ways does the association work in service to its members as well as to the general public? Yeah, um, that's a great question. APA's mission is pretty simple. It's overall is to benefit society and improve lives. And that is through the way we talk about it in the mission statement is that we promote the advancement communications and application of psychological science and knowledge to do that, to benefit society and improve lives. And I think it's kind of fascinating that communication is right in the mission statement. I find that very refreshing and reflects what I believe. So I think that's pretty forward-thinking of APA. The strategic plan that we have really lays out what the purpose is of the association and how we work in service to our members and to the public. And there are basically just four parts to this plan, which the members approved just last year. So it's a new strategic plan for us and really had so much input from members and different volunteer leaders and governance and people were very aligned in what the association should be focused on. And the big headline areas are to make a positive impact on critical societal issues, to prepare the discipline for the future, to strengthen APA standing as an authoritative voice for psychology. And that's advocacy for things like research funding, telehealth, and supporting students, and then elevating the public's understanding of regard for and use of psychology. So Everything we do is around that mission statement and that it's very sort of tight for goals of our strategic plan. And I think that that has been working really well for us. Well, I will have to say I'm impressed as well that communication is right there in the mission because it's interesting how so many associations, they lose sight of how important that role is. And they not only lose sight of it from a mission standpoint, they sometimes lose sight of it from just an operational plan standpoint as well. So it's so great to see an association like yours prioritizing it like that and making it so much on the forefront. I'd love for our listeners to also to get a sense of your specific role and your work 
at the American Psychological Association. And we've gone over just a very high level, a few pieces. But what I'd like to do is look at what the pre-COVID-19 role was that you had. So in other words, what types of initiatives you had been overseeing in recent memory prior to this whole COVID-19 overtaking the global stage. And then later in our conversation, I'm interested in doing some comparison contrast in how your role was focused early this year and then how it's absorbed, I'm sure, so many changes. So might you describe for us some of the primary projects and initiatives you were working on previous to, say, February, March? (laughs) <laughs> right. It, it does seem kind of a lifetime ago um, yes. when you think about it that way. Yeah. I mean, AP's focus is to really, from a communications perspective, is really try to inject psychology and psychological science into the into the national conversation. So around that mission statement and our strategic goals, we have major initiatives around mass shootings and wow. the tragedy of mass shootings and what psychology knows about that and how psychology can really have an impact in helping legislators understand the need for research around guns and gun violence and the impact of mass shootings on communities and families, not only the communities sort of directly impacted, but all of the communities that ripple out from that, the families and the friends. We still have a major initiative on immigration, and we did a lot of work around speaking out around separating children from their parents and how that threatens the mental and physical health of both the children and their caregivers. So we try Mm -hmm. very hard to focus on the science and what we're doing and not just the politics and what we're doing. So the psychological research shows the longer kids and their parents are separated, the greater the symptoms of anxiety and depression for the children. It's research proves it. And the negative outcomes are not only things like psychological distress, which are huge, but academic difficulties and disruptions in their development. So we did a lot of speaking out around that issue. We've also, we were moving toward talking more about the opioid crisis in America and really trying to help people understand that it's more than just the opioid crisis. It's a crisis in pain management, kind of move that Mm -hmm. conversation back a little bit and say that there are certainly many things that psychologists and others can do once someone has been diagnosed with a substance use disorder. But there are also many things that primary care and psychologists and others can do far earlier along the line to help people who are depressed and have chronic conditions and helping them sort of get out of the situation they're in long before an opioid is prescribed. And then um, most recently, we did, even in February, in fact, we released a poll on the increasing psychological impact of climate change on the mental health of Americans and really focusing on sort of the eco-anxiety that Americans are feeling and even more globally and that how psychology can actually really have an impact on climate change from that perspective. And then we did a lot around, we're always doing a lot on the Hill Mm -hmm. with advocacy and a lot of big picture initiatives to support research and support psychologists and support the field. So there are many other things, but I think those are the kind of some of the big ones. Wow, I didn't realize. I guess it That's a really good summation. Yeah, yeah. the eco anxiety part, that's really interesting is that's really kind of popped up here in the past few years, even more so with all the fires and climate change issues. But just as an aside, well, what about how did you have to pivot to absorb the changes that are going on now and help come up with initiatives to help ease COVID-19 anxiety? 
Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because the strategic plan that I mentioned to you earlier aligns absolutely with this COVID work. It's about making the positive impact on critical societal issues. You know, that is helping people cope with everything from anxiety to physical distancing to even, unfortunately, grief. We are raising awareness around issues of equity from this sort of huge and unbalanced impact on communities of color of this pandemic to increasing a phobia as a result of people calling it names like the China virus and how that's been impacting people and the psychology behind that. And then at the workforce level. So all of those things shifted easily into our strategic plan work we were already doing. But yeah, some of those big projects, the work of the projects is continuing, but we made a very conscious decision as an organization a couple of weeks ago to shift all of our public messaging to be COVID focused. So you haven't seen things, or if you have, there have been very few that have come from APA that aren't focused on the impact of this pandemic at all these different levels. Because for all four planks of our strategic plan, whether it's preparing the discipline for the future or elevating the public's understanding, that's what people are interested in and want to hear about. Right. Absolutely. Overall, I was going to say that you know one of the things that I think all of us are observing is that this whole situation has been like a fast-moving tsunami. It's been fast-hitting and it's been far-reaching across all segments of society. And I'm really interested in your take, Alicia, on how you think your profession is seeking to respond on behalf of, well, just everyone who works in the field regarding COVID-19. I'm interested in what you're hearing from your members and how APA is, as an association, seeking to balance its response to those voices of your membership on just being a responsive platform and a platform for responsive action. Yeah, I mean, unsurprisingly, our members are very engaged. I mean, I sort of think how great to be in a profession that has so much to offer right now. So we have 54 divisions across APA, and those are centered around different audiences and issues, things that our members find important or in need of extra sort of focus. And a lot of those divisions are drafting materials, they're doing webinars, they're writing pieces for publication, they're they're working in their communities, they're working in their organizations or their hospitals, or they're working collectively, even if they work independently. I've really never worked in a place with kind of such an embarrassment of riches that there's so many people have so much to add. And the challenge for APA as a larger organization is to figure out amidst all of that great content, what are we pushing out to whom and in what way? And how are we ensuring that the expertise of our members is front and center in everything that we do? So I think it's a it's a partnership. The you know the members are working on individually and collectively and then they're working with us and then we are working on things and reaching out to them for their expertise. We've also really stepped up our communication to our members to try to really ensure that they know what we're doing. I mean anyone who's part of a membership organization knows sometimes the biggest complaint if you're a member is, you know, stop sending me email. (laughs) (laughs) Please just stop sending me email. And we've actually stepped up our email. We have some newsletters for certain parts of the association, like different types of psychologists. We have a newsletter that's focused on advocacy. And then we have sort of a general member newsletter. A lot of those have come out once a month or every two weeks, and we've been running them weekly. And the open rates are huge. I think the members are very interested in knowing what APA has been doing. They're very engaged. And then they're pushing that content back out to their audiences. So that sort of surprised me. But (laughs) yeah, I think the engagement, it's reflective of what, you know, if you change your organization's 
focus to only be putting out content that relates to a pandemic and the interest in what you're doing skyrockets, it says you've done the right thing. Right. Well, very often we talk to clients and to other colleagues about the importance of internal communication. So, you know, to your point, Alicia, it's so important to remember how important those internal stakeholders are. And it's interesting, though, that counterintuitively, some organizations forget the importance of speaking to those internal stakeholders on a really consistent basis, even though it would it would seem like the obvious thing to do. I think there is some concern now, too, about are we over-communicating? Are we filling in people's email boxes too much at this point. But I do agree with you. There's such a thirst for information and for ways to engage, especially for a professional sector such as yours, where you have the members who are really on the front lines of all of this, trying to help their their constituencies, their clients, those who they're trying to counsel. So bravo to you all for communicating at that level. Yeah, and that's the perfect segue. I'd love to direct our listeners to the American Psychological Association website. You've created an amazing COVID-19 resource page. The site can be located at apa.org, and you have a COVID-19 link right there on the homepage. Alicia, can you tell our listeners or give our listeners an overview of what's there they can tap into, what types of resources? We've noticed you have it organized in several helpful sections based on interest area. Yeah. Well, communications people understand the complexities of keeping a website updated kind of in a normal world order. But when the messages and content are shifting sort of so dramatically and so quickly, it's really been a challenge. And I give huge credit to our incredible web team who's really been pivoting constantly to realign. You know, when we launched the website, we had information on anxiety and stress, a lot of it, because that's, we have already have a lot of information on anxiety and stress. And that was the first kind of content we were starting to build. And so it wouldn't have really made sense to have the site be focused by interest area because we didn't have a lot of interest areas. But as the content has grown, we've been building that out. So you'll find on the website issues from distance learning to physical isolation to the stress of being in financial crisis. It's really interesting. One of the pieces of research around working through and coping with financial crisis is that having a purpose in your life can sometimes help combat your financial miseries. And I think little tidbits like that that are based on, you know, really deep psychological science can be really helpful for coping. We also have a very popular piece on the seven key psychological research findings that are from past crises, which are kind of interesting. And it's things like social media can actually escalate your anxieties more than traditional media. And I think this is something that communicators know that trustworthy information is more likely to sink in. We had the expert who talked about that do a webinar for us, and that's up on the website as well. And then we have advice for parents who have children with disabilities. We have lesson plans for psychology teachers. We even have advice for teachers from the science about how to best provide sort of a psychologically healthy classroom environment when you're trying to do that virtually. So we update it every day. We're developing a lot of content and it is on a, it's on the homepage, as you said, and you can also find it at backslash topics, backslash COVID-19 and that won't change. So you can find it anytime. 
That's great information. And I mean, it just seems like this crisis is impacting people's lives in such innumerable ways that I would think that the list is almost endless of all the different areas where your association (laughs) is seeking to, yeah, yeah, to address that and be front and center with resources. Like every communications leader, you, I'm sure, have no doubt been under immense pressure to be both strategically proactive, but also responsively reactive in a very short amount of time. And those are sort of two different ends of the spectrum when it comes to the work in communications leadership that someone in your position has to manage. When you and I spoke on the phone just the other day, I think we talked about this reality of having to build the bicycle while we're riding it. It's Mm -hmm. sort of that type of situation. I think thousands of communications professionals right now are finding themselves in that position. We'd really like to gather your insights about how you undertake that immediacy aspect of your work right now as a Mm -hmm. chief communications officer. For example, how do you keep your strategic mindset while staying tactically nimble every day with everything changing as quickly as it is? Yeah, that is such a great question. I mean, I I think so much about being nimble and flexible is about sort of keeping your eyes open and your mind open to new ideas and challenges and possibilities. And I think that works well with being strategic if you can keep those ideas in line with your ultimate goals. And we do, we throw a lot of ideas around on my team and it's important, I think, to do that and to open the floodgates and see what those ideas might spark other ideas And then to sort of move past the ones that aren't going to really serve us well if we have a limited time and we know our audience is really clamoring for certain kinds of content. How do we focus on those sort of new ideas, but balance them with what our audience really needs? I think what's interesting for me about this pandemic is that this is such an unusual time in communications. I mean, the fact that an organization like mine would pivot all of its content to be you know, ostensibly on one issue. It's it's clearly not on one issue. It's on every issue. That's why it's so encompassing. But it's just such a different approach to think about it that way. And I, it, it is not something that I've encountered before. So there are times like when we're fighting for something on the Hill where there are people talking about it, but if we weren't making the noise, people wouldn't be paying attention to it. And that's not true about this. So that means that APA doesn't have to be the answer to everything. We don't have to speak out on the medical side of this. We have the CDC to do that. You know, we don't, there are a million pieces of this that we aren't the experts in. So we can really try to hone our creativity around the things that we are the experts in and the things where we can be really strategic and thoughtful. So it helps us to have the strategic plan for sure. It helps us think bigger. But I think part of that is just the mindset of we're going to we're going to do the things that that are in our lane that speak to psychology that we are the experts in. But then we're going to be as creative and far reaching as we can with those things that we grab onto. Well, I'd like to turn the conversation to the particular expertise APA's membership can offer the world right now. So as Mary Beth and I have talked about this and see it. We believe the psychological community is facing an immense challenge, but also an opportunity to make an immeasurable impact in a global time of need. So given how long this crisis will continue to be felt, likely for many, many years into the future, my son, who's a college student, just said today, he goes, I bet 2020 is going to be the worst year in our century. The nature of that challenge and opportunity is overwhelming just in and of itself. So if if we break down the timeline simply to the year 2020 and the remaining nine months we have in this year, 
where does APA want to focus its outreach and its impact and how will public relations play an essential role in that planning? Yeah, I mean, I I feel your pain. My daughter is in 11th grade and the SATs got canceled, college tours got canceled. There's, it's so confusing to try to figure out what's next. And I think that that's so true across the board for everybody. So I think that's the key is that the mental health impacts of this pandemic are going to be felt for probably not years, but decades to come. And the thing that's unusual is about it is I think those impacts are going to grow because the nation has been through a trauma. The country's been through a trauma. And so the sort of downstream effects of that aren't going to go away when they blow the whistle and say everybody can step outside we're really all in this for the long haul. So I think psychology and psychologists have a lot to offer in that perspective for the next nine months and beyond. I think that psychologists have a lot to say about the impact of stress, and we will definitely be focusing communication efforts around stress. We do a annual nationwide survey called Stress in America. We've been doing it since 2007, and it examines the state of stress across the country and how you understand its impact and measures not only that sort of number of how stressed people think they are, but also attitudes and perceptions of stress and kind of draws attention to the, both the physical impact of that stress and the emotional implications of stress. And so I think that's going to be a big part of our messaging as we move through this year. We probably aren't going to wait to do a survey in November, but are going to try to probably do some smaller surveys going along to see if we can better track and pay attention to what the impact is on the country of stress as we're moving along. We also have, psychologists have a lot to say about how to help people cope in general, how to help employers better manage the times as they keep shifting, how to pushing legislators to support policies that are going to reduce some of those inequities that we were talking about. And then, you know, the profession of psychology, we're going to be fighting for the profession, whether it's the research grants or payment for clinicians or supporting students and faculty. I mean, we are here to ensure that the profession remain strong and grows. And there's certainly a need for more psychology, not less. We want to make sure that the people that are out there doing all this work are able to keep doing it. So I think we're going to be busy. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. You have so much on your plate, Alicia. Do you have a public relations team supporting you to help you get out all of this messaging and, you know, reach out to the media or how are you making all that happen? Because there's just so much to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not only do I have an amazing team that I'm so lucky to have, we have experts who are working with the media. We have staff who are doing writing. We publish a magazine. We have staff who do that. We have newsletters and podcasts and the website, obviously. And so we have a lot of products and a lot of channels, but we also have a lot of really smart people. And in addition to that, we've, because communications has sort of become kind of the tip of the spear for our association right now, because it's the fastest way to get material out and to get it out in front of a lot of people. We've been working so much with the other members of the executive team across APA and with their staff. We've kind of been deputizing people or maybe inscripting them, conscripting them is a way of saying it, pulling them in and having them become part of the, the work that we're doing. And it's definitely one of those examples of the cross-cutting team that supports the core communications team in a way that I've I've really never experienced in an organization before. We're really lucky. 
Well, it sounds like both collaboration and prioritization are the two orders of the day every day <laughs> for yeah. your team, that being on top of both of those is just really essential toward you know, being able to get through all of these challenges. You know, the report just hit in recent days, I guess in the past week or so, about the number of U.S. jobless claims. As you know, it's around 10 million, utterly unprecedented, if I can if I can use a word that's the most overused yet apropos <laughs> of the past several months or two months, rather, the psychological impact, I think, to our society cannot be put into words adequately, I think, as to how these the, the unemployment situation is just rippling through all aspects, not only of the economy, but also people's psyche, their sense of self-worth, their sense of future and you know, be, being able to have information to be able to hang their hat on as to their you know, how they're going to be able to support their themselves and their families. And among those who are lucky enough to remain employed, the vast sudden changes that have been thrust upon them are creating other types of workplace stress. And when I say workplace, I mean, for many people, as we're doing this podcast right now, either you know, <laughs> at, at home, at a home office, or even stuck at a kitchen table where people are simult- simultaneously trying to manage their their kids' lives, their home life, disruptions there too. It's just a full-on apple cart turnover in people's lives right now. So one of the main things I wanted to ask was about the workforce mental wellness resources that APA offers right now. And you touched on, of course, the, the aspect of what you have with all of these online resources. Do you anticipate developing other resources based on changing market needs here in the near future in, in that regard? Yeah, I think you're going to see a lot coming from APA around that in the next few months, for sure. In addition to trying to get information out there to support the so many people who are losing their jobs and some of that guidance around financial stress and coping and things like that, we have a lot of advice for teleworking that's based on science, but also we, ha- we have been working on more and more advice for leaders of organizations and trying to really help them maximize trust and minimize stress for their workers. Things that are based on the science about, you know, modeling credibility and being transparent, giving staff a form for feedback, things like that. We did a webinar for state officials. We are going to be doing some outreach to some other partner to try to ensure that the people that are leading the people who are teleworking have enough resources at their disposal to do a good job of doing that. And long before the pandemic, APA was focusing on these workplace issues, including through our Psychologically Healthy Workplace Program, which encourages organizations to adopt evidence-based practices that help employees and organizations really thrive. And that encourages workplaces to focus on things like employee growth and development or work-life balance, employee recognition, even in health and safety. And there's sort of a list of things that make up a psychologically healthy workplace. And then there's a lot of guidance for employers around that. We have a conference on that and we do a lot of other work around those issues through our Office of Applied Psychology at APA. And so I think you're going to be hearing more from them and then just broadly, we have two of our fantastic experts on stress and coping have been sort of interviewing with reporters and doing webcasts pretty much nonstop. I don't think they're allowed to do anything else <laughs> right now. <laughs> I think I heard yesterday that between the two of them, they had done 1,500 media interviews since all this started. 
Oh my god! So they're just constantly on the phone. Are you kidding? And what they're what they're doing is offering uh, coping advice, and a lot of it is about the the impact of being home and that feeling of isolation, the working from home, and as you said, having to cope if you have kids at home with you. And so we have a lot of resources. There's also a webinar by one of them. Her name is Dr. Lynn Buffka up on our website, and it's a great webinar for people who are struggling and just need some guidance and advice. So yeah, I think we're going to be not only developing other resources, but trying to push out the the ones we have and hopefully giving our experts a couple days break, <laughs> in right. a little vacation time. Well, one of the recurring themes we like to address on Misinterpreted is the notion of dispelling myths, stereotypes, misunderstandings in the public mindset, which keep people or organizations from reaching their highest potential. Along those lines, Alicia, what is misinterpreted most about the profession of psychology and what it has to offer people from all backgrounds and walks of life? Yeah, I love this question. I mean, I love the entire focus of your podcast. I think that's a great way to think about organizations and work. And I mean, my sense of what's misinterpreted about psychology is that there's three things. I think the first is that it's sort of all about the couch. It's that sort of Bob Newhart, you know, assessment that that's that psychologists only do therapy, and certainly psychologists do therapy, and there are a lot of psychologists doing therapy, and we need them to be doing therapy. But that isn't the only thing that psychology is. The second thing I think that's misinterpreted is that psychology is not a science, and that maybe it's impossible to do experiments on human behavior because people are so unpredictable. But in fact, it's not, and that research drives so much of the way our community and our world function. And then the third one is psychology is just common sense, which I think is a common misinterpretation of communications as well, (laughs) that it's just something that people can figure out. I don't understand how it could help me, how it's relevant to my life. And one really good example of that is the issue of climate change. You know, we first started talking about climate change. People were saying, what does psychology have to do with climate change? That doesn't even make any sense. And The fact of the matter is psychology is front and center because climate change is a result of human behavior and psychology is the study of human behavior. So it makes a lot of sense that psychology would have a lot to say about how we can change the behaviors that are causing climate change and global warming. So that's what I would say. Well, and we very often talk about how the public relations profession is so misinterpreted, too, and that anyone can do PR or anyone can do communications and do it well without training or background or all the things that we know go into the process of becoming qualified in this field. And it seems like there are numerous professions out there that really sometimes suffer from not being adequately understood in the wider public sphere. So I'm just so glad that in the psychological profession that that they have an association like yours that's working out there to correct the record and to keep keep interpretations more closely aligned with reality. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, I totally agree. And on a personal note, I'm so glad to see that psychology has come so far. I mean, I remember as a child growing up in a small town, like if if you had to go to a counselor or a psychologist, then you had like the scarlet letter on your chest. I mean, it was something that was deemed to be really horrible instead of now, I feel like it's pivoting to be more of, oh, that person is really empowered if they're taking control of their own mental health and their own well-being. It's more, it's, it's 
gradually, and I hope it continues shifting to be more of a sign of empowerment than of weakness. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I tend to think too, just including mental health and wellness as part of the larger overall healthcare conversation of just general health and wellness and making sure that mental health and wellness is part of that and is inherent to that conversation and not just some one-off thing that's over here in this other segmented silo. I, I think that that's a really important piece too. And clearly, you know, something that the associations working in that space are, are working hard to make sure happens. And Alicia, tell me something. What keeps you up at night right now? I mean, just say the top three things when you're as, as you're. I mean, I, I, if you can even narrow it down to three. Um, yeah. I know that in, in my world, I have trouble sometimes prioritizing in that regard. But I'd love to hear what's sort of on your mind or that really is kind of an yeah. intense area of thought for you. I mean, I think my answer here is gonna, is different than it would have been a month ago. Like most of us, because I think crisis brings clarity, which is trite, but very true. It's such an interesting question because my dad always taught me and my sister that if you can do something about what's worrying, you should just get up and do it. Otherwise you should go to bed. And it's such a good <laughs> approach to things. I would lie there and think like, can I do something about this? No, I should go to bed. Can I do something? I should, I'll get up and do it. And so the times when I can't follow that advice well right now is when my mind drifts to worrying about the people I love. I mean, it's my family, especially my sister, who's a healthcare worker and on the front lines of this every day. But for me, I don't exist well in a state of worry. So then I pivot to strategy. So I start thinking like, how can psychological science help frontline workers like my sister cope in situations that are like impossible to fathom? And when people are worried that they can't be with their loved ones and they're rationing resources and the workers themselves are so worried about their own health. So strategy in general doesn't keep me up at night, but sometimes it gets me up when I'm thinking about something and I want to play it out. I think the thing that I think about the most is how much more communications could be people could be doing right now, that there's more audiences we could reach, there's more subjects we could tackle, there's more people we could help. I mean, I've sort of always felt that in my career, and I think that's sort of the curse and the blessing of doing public relations and communications is that feeling that there's always another thing that you could be doing. It's a little harder now because you feel like the opportunity to really make an impact, we should be doing it. And I think, you know, what we bring to the table isn't the same as what the subject matters experts bring, but we make it possible for more people to get that information. And my favorite really quick story about that is that there's this pediatrician named Robert Hamilton, who he has millions and millions of views on his YouTube video and it's just a video on how to calm a fussy baby, like how you hold the baby to calm the baby down. And I say this all the time because I think about, you know, he's an older man. I think about how many years was he a pediatrician where a family would come in his office with a new baby and the baby would be crying. He'd show them how to do this sort of magical hold and it would change their lives. And they would go home and, you know, maybe they would tell a few people. So he could change the lives of however many patients he saw and the people they told. And then one day somebody decided to put it up on YouTube. And now there's millions and millions of people who are able to access that information. And to me, that's the, those are the moments that keep me up wondering, like, what are the things like that, that we know that we just need to get in front of more people? If we could just show the people what's happening or explain this or give them this guidance, it would save so many lives or calm so many people down or change the world in new and different ways. So I think about that pediatrician a lot, the sort of like from one family to millions of family, that intervention didn't change at all. It was just the reach that changed and reach is something I have control over. So that's something that I think about. That's such a great story. 
It is. And I, I think about how an intervention like that, too, if it if it were applied toward things like suicide prevention or just keeping people from, you know, going down that right. pathway of thought when they're under such duress from situational factors such as what's you know, going on so broad scale right now. That that is something very worthwhile to consider and and really for all of us to think about how can we be developing more uplifting content and resources and pushing that out for the for the greater good. I think it takes a lot of self confidence to do that and put personally even to put yourself out there to offer up encouragement and insights because you think maybe I'm not qualified to do that. And people may think, why is she going off on that tangent? But I've thought a lot <laughs> about that. Like with within my networks, what could I be doing personally to inspire and maybe help other people feel better about what they're going through? And I think as a society, we probably all need to be looking at that. And instead of being afraid of what it's going to take to do it, just just step out there and do it. Do something. Yep. So totally that, was, that was my sidebar. That was like my little, <laughs> I don't I like know, <laughs> armchair psychology right there. So <laughs> there you go. as we conclude, Alicia, we just thank you so much again for taking time out to join us. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners to consider or anything that they could take to heart in facing the weeks and months ahead? Yeah, I would just say that, you know, communications and PR superpowers. That's the way I look at it. I mean, people with these skill sets change lives. They, they spend their lives um, engaging with audiences and changing minds and changing lives. And we could just use more of it. So it's exactly what you're saying, Kelly. Like, I just think the more that we can use our power for good, the better off the world will be. We just need more of that now as much good as we can get. Absolutely. Well, Alicia, your insights today have been just tremendously helpful to us, to our listeners, and we welcome all of our listeners to follow the American Psychological Association on social media, including on Twitter at Twitter handle APA. And you can also follow Alicia at Twitter handle at Alicia Collin, and that's A-L-I-C-I-A-C-O-L-L-I-N. We'll respond to your questions and comments, so please post them using the hashtag MsInterpreted, and that's hashtag MsInterpreted. And for visibility's sake, don't forget to capitalize the PR. And don't miss our Twitter chats on the last Wednesday of each month using the same MsInterpreted hashtag. We love having direct dialogue with our growing base of followers. Everyone, thank you again for joining us. Please stay safe and well. Until next time. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time 